morning. Uh, and uh, well, certainly, certainly good to be with you. Look forward to lunch and to our afternoon service and uh, the rest of uh, the days that we have uh, this week. Always good to be with Billy and Brady and girls. And uh, we've uh, known each other for a number of years and, and known of each other for more than that. And, uh, certainly good to be with them. And I know they can continue to do a great work. Always uh, have a respect for them and appreciate them and the work that they do. Uh, yes, I am the next one in line, I guess, for uh, taking over there at camp. I've never done anything like that. I'm pretty sure I don't know what I'm getting into, and I'm almost 100% certain that's why I was asked to do it. Amen. Because I didn't know what all it involved. You know, I, I come, I've, I've been going for a number of years to Billy's Week, and uh, I show up and do what I'm asked, and everything goes smoothly. I kind of forget that there's like 350 other days of the year that uh, there's nothing that, uh, that I don't have to do with. And so that will be coming up and that will be a learning curve that I'm thankful for that. And I will mention the uh, athletic comment that he made. Uh, getting a little older and I'm using words like, uh, phrases like used to. You know, I, I used to, I used to do a lot more than I do now. So that's happening more and more. So we're not, uh, not as uh, athletic, but uh, kids will certainly do that to you. My family's not able to be with me today. They're hoping to come this week, and we'll see uh, what, we, what we can do. I have four children, and as I mentioned in Bible class, the oldest is eight, and the youngest is two. Uh, we live 100 yards from the Crossroads building where I preach, and if we did not, uh, we would be late every time the doors were open. We, we're like one of those really long planes, those really big planes that need a really long runway to get going. We've got to start at like two to get ready for Wednesday Bible study. So we'll see what's going to happen this week. Hopefully, hopefully they will be here with me some, if not to the majority of our time. John chapter 2, we read of, as we saw just a moment ago, a wedding that took place. You'll remember that this is the occasion of Jesus' first miracle where he turns the water into wine. Uh, but here on this occasion, Jesus was invited to a wedding here in Cana, Galilee. And if you're familiar with, uh, with the map or where that is, that's just a few miles, six miles or so north of Nazareth. So we're certainly where his home would have been. He was not far from it. This may have been a relative that uh, invited him to the wedding. But we see that Mary, his mother, was invited. And it says in there in verse 2 that Jesus and his disciples were invited also, and they went. And they were there as well. Jesus' ministry here on this earth, as far as we can tell, lasted for about three years. Maybe a little more, but not certainly not much longer than that. And so for him to take the time as, out of his time that he was going around and doing things that he did, for him to take time to go to a wedding, to me it says a lot about what Jesus thinks about weddings. It says a lot about what he thinks about what happens at a wedding and what those things entail and really what those, those things mean. He certainly was a busy individual. This seems to be the beginning of uh, his time when he begins that ministry. But he was... Always on the move, especially if you read the book of Mark. He seems to be going from one place to another frequently, and he's always on the move. So for him to take the time to come to a wedding, it says a lot about weddings. There are a number of weddings, I'm sure, that took place yesterday and, and, and this week and perhaps even today around the, the world. And, and understand what I mean when I say this. Jesus is more than likely invited to almost all of them. The Bible is opened and, and read, prayers are offered, and... Uh, battles are made before God, and Jesus has been invited to the majority of weddings that took place in this weekend, uh, and, and will continue to, to do that. But the, the, the thing we want to focus on today is what happens after that wedding. 
What happens after the wedding has, has finished and now the couple go home? Has, has Jesus been invited back home with them? Because when Jesus is invited back into my home, he changes everything that I am. And whether I'm married to not to this morning or not really doesn't matter as far as our lesson is concerned. It's the idea of inviting Jesus back home with me. Because you see, many people invite Jesus to the wedding. He's there in, in, in many respects. And as I said, Bibles are, are opened and read and that sort of thing. But too many people leave him there at the altar. He stays there and he's not invited back home with us. And so you see, when I invite Jesus into my home, when I invite him home with me, and he's, he is a, uh, a member there at home, he changes everything about me. And I want to notice that during our time this morning. What happens when I invite Jesus into my home? First of all, when I invite Jesus into my home, he changes my posterity. He changes my, my family and how I look at them and how I treat them. Certainly our family should be those that we think about uh, and respect the most, and those are the ones that we love and cherish the most, or at least that's, uh, that's what we're supposed to do, or what we think we're supposed to do. But when I invite Jesus into my home, it changes even my core family unit. It changes how I look at him and, and, and how I think about him. Notice here in, in John, just a few verses earlier, John 1, beginning with verse 40, we read about where John Baptist was going around preaching Jesus as well, and there were individuals who heard these people uh, these men speaking, John 1, beginning there with verse 40, Andrew heard John preaching and, and heard him preaching about becoming Savior. And, and so what, what does he do? He goes immediately and he finds Simon Peter. He goes and he finds Simon and he says, we have we found him. We found him of whom the prophet spake, Jesus the Messiah. We found him. And so notice what he does. He goes and he finds his brother. He goes to him and he says, I want you to come see this man. And then we read a little bit later, and we see Philip, that he hears about Jesus, and he goes to Nathaniel. He goes to his brother, and he says, we have found him. We found the one that Moses spoke, and the prophets were speaking about, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. <clears throat> Nathaniel, because he understood Nazareth, knew how small and insignificant it was, he said, can, can any good thing come out of, uh, of Nazareth? He wasn't saying necessarily that Nazareth was... was bad or, or, or wicked above others. He was just saying it's so insignificant, it's so small. There were barely 20 families, as far as we can tell, that lived in that area. It was a small, small place. Can any significant thing come from that place? And remember what, uh, what Philip told him. Come and see. You come and see for yourself. What's changed here? Now, Philip, Nathaniel, Andrew, Peter, they're all interested in, in what their family is doing. Their man, he now wants to go and tell the good news to the closest person to him. He goes and he finds his brother. He goes and he finds his family and he brings, them, uh, brings him to Jesus. And, and Daniel comes to Jesus and they have a conversation about where he was and, and, and what his uh, life has been like. And so they, they talk there. He's, it's changed his family simply by Jesus being there. He now wants, Philip wants Nathaniel. Andrew finds Simon Peter, brings them there to, to Jesus. John 19, right at the end of his, his earthly life, Jesus is on the cross there. And we have seven statements that he makes, seven sayings that we have. Perhaps he said more, but we're only told of seven things that he said. One of those things is found in John 19, verse 26, and it has to do with his family. He looks down there. His, most of his disciples, they, they, most of those who were close to him, they abandoned him. They left. But he looks down, and it's significant, I think, to notice that there are mostly women that have followed him, those who have cared for him, those who have done things kind of behind the scenes, they are still here with him. One of those individuals is his mother. He looks down and he sees Mary, his mother there, verse 26, 
And also, the, we're told the disciple that Jesus loved. That's more than likely John here on this page. And he's there with her. And one of the things that he says to her is, Woman, behold your son, referring to John. And to John, behold, this is your mother. And they, he took her into his household from that day and cared for her. Notice what's happening. Jesus here being the oldest uh, child that Mary had. It was his job. He was the one that was required by tradition, by law, by morality to care for his mother. We don't know what's happened to Joseph at this time. We don't read anything about him. He's, he's obviously not there for one reason or another. Perhaps has died or something else. But he's no longer there. And so it falls to the children to take care of, uh, of the mother. And now Jesus realizes, I'm, or he already knew this, but he, he, he states it here, that he's not going to be around to take care of her like he needs to. And so he needs to make sure that she is cared for. His other brothers were still alive. They were still there. We'll talk about them uh, in a moment. But notice that Jesus wanted her to be cared for as well as he could. And he couldn't find anyone else. There was no one else who could care for her the way that he would have except John. John was the one. So he wanted him to take Mary and, and care for her the way that John would care for his own mother. Notice here, Jesus is teaching a blessing. You take care of those. You take care of those who took care of you. You take care of your parents where and when you are able to at all possible. You see, when I invite Jesus into my home, it changes uh, my, my family. Jesus talked and encouraged those who, uh, who looked to their parents and those who were older, those who were were, were past their years of, of caring for others as, as something that wasn't their responsibility. You know, whatever happens, let nature take its course, and, and that's it. Jesus said, that's not the right answer. That is not the way to look at my family. When I invite Jesus into my home, it changes, first of all, my family. It changes how I look at them, and I understand my responsibility to those around me, especially those with whom I share a home and, and, and a last name and blood and that sort of thing. James 1, verse 27, James that defines for us what pure religion is. Pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Pure religion. If I want to have religion that is unadulterated, that is, that is, that is pure, as he calls it there, in, in the, the best sense possible, the only way to do that, he says, is to visit the fathers, the, the, the orphans and the widows. Now, there are this, these... Words here mean more than just those who live in an orphanage or someone who has lost her, her husband. The fatherless here is, is those individuals who do not have a spiritual head. They don't have anyone that is guiding them spiritually. Now that can be a child who doesn't have any parents, but it can also be an adult who doesn't know where to go spiritually speaking. You visit the fatherless. You visit those who don't have a spiritual head and the widows, those without a physical uh, monetary head. The, in the first century, widows and orphans were the uh, were those who were without any kind of means of providing for themselves. They were helpless. And James said, if you want to have pure religion, you help those who need help spiritually, and you help those who need help physically, monetarily, other means as well. You visit the fatherless and the widows, and you also look out for yourself. Inviting Jesus into my home means I need, I'm, it's going to change my family. How I look at those around me who need help, physically or spiritually. I'm going to be those who are willing to help. But number two, when I invite Jesus into my home, and, and he's not invited home in many places today, but it changes, not only does it change my posterity, but it changes my prospect. I'm someone who likes to have the first letters need to be the same. That helps me, uh, and so that's what they're going to have today. It changes my, my prospect. Jesus changes what I focus on. 
There are too many people that go around in, in this world and they're focused on the wrong things. They're focused on, on, on money, on gaining wealth, or being successful, and trying to go after things that really aren't going to matter after this life is concerned. And they're forgetting about the, the more important things. They're forgetting about that family that we talked about. They're forgetting about the church. They're forgetting about Jesus. When I invite him into my home, it changes my focus. I'm, I'm focusing on the right things, and I'm not concerned about all the other things that are going on in this life. We're going to talk in, in more detail this afternoon about... Uh, about this occasion here. But in Matthew 14, we read before Jesus sends his disciples across the Sea of Galilee. He is, for, for a particular reason, wanting to be alone. He's wanting to be alone in a mountain, so he sends his disciples across the sea, and there they are lost at sea in a storm. And, and it's one that is causing them great fear, great terror, verse 23, uh, beginning there, Matthew 14. And then we, they see Jesus walking on the water to them. And they're afraid, they're, they're, they think they're either dead, or this is a ghost, and, and they're, they're thinking all kinds of stuff. And, and so the, 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 the person that's walking there on the water cries out to them and says, don't be afraid, it is, it is I. And Peter says, Lord, if it is you, then let me walk on the water to you. And Jesus says something that I, I don't know whether or not he's expecting, because Jesus says, come. Okay, if that's, that's what you want to do. Then, then get out of the boat. And so he starts to, to get out of the boat there, and he starts to walk on the water it's the, the, the text says, towards Jesus. Notice his focus here is on Jesus. And he's looking there straight at him. That's his focus. When I invite Jesus into my home, it changes what I focus on. Now I'm focusing on him. Notice, if you will, there's, the, the storm hasn't stopped. The rain is still coming down. The wind is still beating. And yet Peter is still walking on. Nothing has changed except what he's focusing on. And then, as you're well aware, he starts to look around. The text says he looks at the, the wind and the waves. Boisterous, He starts to remember, oh, wait a second. I'm not supposed to be doing what I'm doing. Now that he starts to focus on other things, now he begins to sink. You see, his focus is now shifted back to what it was before Jesus arrived. When I invite Jesus into my home and he stays there and I keep him there at the center of my life, it changes what I focus on. I still have a lot of the same problems. I still have difficulties at work. I still have problems at school. I still have difficulties with... With, with, with co-workers and family and other things. Those problems, for the most part, are still there because it doesn't just go away when I become a Christian. But when I focus on Him, those problems now go away as far as what they do to, to me and, and my joy. I'm focused on Him, and all of the other <laughs> things really don't matter because He's the focus of my life. You see, it changes my prospect, changes what I, what I focus on. Matthew 26, just before his, his crucifixion, we read where, where Jesus is being led from one place to another inside of Jerusalem. They're, they're doing this very quickly. It's in the middle of the night, and they don't want really a lot of people to know about it. They're, they're, they're putting him on trial. Different people are talking to him, and they're trying to decide what they're going to do with him. And as he goes from one place to another, he has some groups of people that are following kind of close by so they can see. They can see what's going on. One of the people that is following him is and Peter is, is watching where Jesus goes there, and he finds a, a, a fire that's, that the people are using for warmth, and he starts to warm himself there. And then on three occasions here in the same place, this is Matthew 26, beginning of verse 69, there are some people that come up to him, and they say, I, I, I know you. I know who you are. You're one of his disciples, that man that's being uh, arrested and, and that they're putting on trial. You're, you were with him. And Peter says, no, no, I wasn't. You, you might, you've got me mistaken with somebody. Someone else comes along and says, you know, you're, you're speaking. 
speech betrays you. you I, I know where you're from. You're from the same place that, that this man is from. And he said, I know not the man. You don't understand. I do not know who he is. And then a third person comes and says, you've got to be. I've seen you with him. And he says, no, you haven't. And he begins to curse. And he begins to say all manner of things trying to, to, to convince himself more than anybody else. I do not know that man. Uh, he, is, he is far from, this is the same person who, by the way, just a little while later said, I would die for you if they try to arrest you. And he even attacked somebody. But now all of a sudden he started to think about it. His focus has been lost. So three times here he denies that he knew Jesus. He sees Jesus, he understands, he remembers that Jesus told him this is exactly what happened. He goes out and weeps bitterly, we're told. Jesus is crucified, he's, raised, he's been raised from the dead. And, and, and a few days later, John 21, we read where, where, where Jesus is here on this occasion, and he's, he's eating with his disciples. He's eating with them uh, on the seashore, and, and they're, they're eating fish, or eating what they've got to eat there for, for breakfast. Peter is there with him, and Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He said, well, then feed, feed my sheep. And, and a little bit later, he says, Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, you, you know all things, and you, and you know that I, that I love you, and, and certainly you, you know that. And he said, that be my lambs. And then the third time, he asks him, Simon Peter, do you love me? And he's upset at this time, uh, Peter is, because he doesn't understand why this is happening. And he said, yes, Lord, of course, you know that I love you. And again, Jesus says, then feed my lambs. I have an idea, and certainly it's just my opinion, but I have an idea that Jesus asks him here three times, do you love me? To kind of reset Peter. He needs Peter to, to, to shift his focus. And I have an idea that Peter had been reminding himself daily of the time when he denied Jesus three times. And it's wearing on him. But here, because Jesus is now in his life again, he wants him to focus, refocus. Bring your focus back to where it's supposed to be. Forget about those things that are behind, Paul would say. Press forward to those things that are ahead. Peter could not do what Peter did in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10 and all the other places had he been thinking about his past mistakes. Inviting Jesus into my home means that I start focusing on the right things. My past does not matter as long as I've been forgiven of it. If I have sins there, if I'm still living in sin, then it absolutely does matter. But when I take care of it, I move on. I continue forward and, and go towards doing, uh, looking to do things that are better. Peter, do you love me? Three times, Peter said, yes, you know that I love you. That's to, to reset, refocus on what you have. After his, his death, his, his resurrection there, his, the tomb is empty. And some women come to the, the tomb there. They're the first ones to see that, that Jesus is not there. There's an angel there that, that tells them that the one that you seek, he's not here. You've got, to, you've got some things to do. Mark 16, verse 7 says, Go into the city and tell his disciples and Peter. Now, is Peter one of his disciples? Of course. So why didn't they say, just go tell his disciples? Well, they said they wanted to, to make sure that Peter knows. Okay, Peter's made some mistakes. Peter has, has had problems in his life and difficulties that are there. You be sure and tell him so that he can refocus his life. It might be that you're here today and you need to, to, to reset. <coughs> you need to refocus uh, on, on what things are important in this life. Inviting Jesus into my home changes that, that prospect, that focus that I have in this life. I'm, I'm not focused on the things that the world tells me, is, tells me is, are important. I'm now focused on Jesus and I'm doing what, what, what he wants me to do. Everything else we take care of. Money's important. It's not that important. 
It's not the most important thing. Other relationships with other people outside of my family, those, those, are, those are important, but it's not the most important. Even me and my family is not as important as, as Jesus. But when he's the focus, everything else falls in place. And those are the difficulties, still, the problems are still there, but I've got the right focus. Inviting Jesus into my home, number one, it changes my, my posterity, my family, changes my prospect, the things that I, I focus on. Number three, it, it also changes my perspective. When I invite Jesus into my home, it changes how I look at things. Because I, I'm now thinking of, uh, from, a, from an eternal, eternal perspective, and not just from a selfish, you know, my way of thinking about it. Because we live in a world where, where everybody's got an opinion, and no one's opinion matters except mine. Uh, and, and when I invite Jesus in my home, I look at things differently. I look at things from a different perspective. And it changes the way that I, that I look at things. There in, in Mark 4, again, we have the disciples, obviously, of Galilee in another storm. Uh, and, and, and they're all trying, bailing water. They're trying to get out of this storm. And they look at the and and Jesus is asleep uh, on a pillow. Uh, they're in the bottom of the boat. And for, for some reason or another, maybe they weren't thinking properly or they were upset. Or they get upset at it. And they wake him up and they ask the, <laughs> the craziest question. One of the craziest questions that they have here in the scripture. Do you not care that we perish? We are dying and you do not care. There is no one that cared for those men more than that man that was sleeping. He wasn't sleeping because he didn't care. He was sleeping because there was no problem. There were no difficulties there. They thought there were. That because they were the ones trying to be in control. But when they let him be in control and they saw how he was acting, they should have said, well, it's no big deal. If he's sleeping, if he doesn't see a problem, then there is no problem. But you see, they were looking from their perspective. I don't know they're humans or we. But they looked at him and they were upset. So Jesus stands, he rebukes the wind and the waves, peace be still, and immediately everything is calm. And their next question, what manner of man is this? That even the wind and the waves obey his voice. What? Who is this man? Who is this person? Well, come and see. Inviting Jesus into my home changes my perspective. He wasn't just a man. People will tell you, you know, that Jesus, Jesus was a person. He was real. He, was, he did a lot of good things, but that's, that's about it. Jesus was more than a man. He was someone that did wonders and was, was certainly God in the flesh. He came and did the things that we read about in Scripture. Inviting him into my home changes the way that I look at things. In John chapter 13, beginning with verse 4, Jesus changes the perspective of his disciples. They're there eating on this occasion, and, uh, and, and as custom would have, as, uh, as tradition would have, they, they required that there would be a bowl there, a bowl of water, a large bowl of water, and, and they would be allowed to have someone there to wash their feet. Feet got dirty on, on those uh, with their sandals and all the, the roads back then. And so it was customary to have a bowl and someone available to wash the feet of the disciples. Well, in a very similar way to how it is in the Middle East today, feet are just the worst. No one likes feet uh, at all. The, the worst insult you can have in the Middle East is to take your shoe off and throw it at somebody. That's what they did to our president several years ago. And they see them hitting uh, the, the shoes on a poster, someone they don't like. That's just the worst insult. So feet were, were the, the, op, the other end of the spectrum of something I want to do. So Jesus looks around and sees that there's no one there to, to watch. No one's going to do it. And so he, the creator of the universe, gets up. He takes a towel, and he starts to wash their feet. He gets to Peter, and, and Peter says, Lord, you're not going to do that. That's, that's beneath you. Uh, you're not going to do that. And Jesus said, well, if I don't wash your feet, then, then you're not with me. You're, you're not in this lesson that I'm teaching. And Peter says, well, just not my feet. Wash my whole body. And he 
misunderstood again. What was Jesus doing here? He said, as I have done to you, so you should do as well. Now, was he commanding us to, to have foot washing? Should we do that before we leave here today? I hope <coughs> Jesus was not telling them that they needed to wash feet. What he was doing was changing their perspective. You serve whenever you can. You find a, a, an opportunity where you can help, you do it. You don't look around and say, well, we pay someone to do that. Or, or that's not my job. That's not my position if, if you're a waiter or a waiter. That's not my table. You know, it's, that's not the attitude that I have. While, yes, it might not be my job, it is my responsibility. I can do it. I can help. I can serve. And so I'm going to do it. Someone asked me uh, this morning, some conversation, someone, someone asked me where I was from, and there's no, there's no good answer for that. Uh, my, my father, as was mentioned, was a preacher who lived in East Alabama. He lived in uh, northern Arkansas, uh, West Tennessee. Uh, we even lived in Tanzania. In the eastern part of Africa. So to ask where I'm from, there are a lot of different places. Uh, but the place where I've grown up the most, my formative years, uh, are in uh, southwestern Virginia, Roanoke, Virginia, uh, outside of, uh, of that city. Uh, and so that's where I say I'm from. That's where I middle school, high school, graduated, and that sort of thing. That's where my parents still live. That's home. Uh, when I was uh, 16, 17, I got a job at a uh, Kind of like a Chuck E. Cheese type place, laser, we had laser tag and uh, all kinds of arcades and pizza and uh, ice cream. It was, it was just great. And, and when everybody went home, we got to play the video games. That was really cool. Uh, and so that was my, my first job was working there. Whatever needed to be done, running certain things and helping make pizza, whatever. Uh, and when I got to be uh, 17 and uh, junior in high school and my, after my junior year, I was going to be a senior. The uh, manager, the owner, sat down with me and he said, you've been here for a year, year and a half, uh, and uh, I want to I want to make you a, a manager. I want you to be one of my managers so that I can go and do what I need to do, and uh, you're still here, uh, and you can be a manager. And, and, and I thought, it's about time uh, that, that this happens. I got keys, uh, I got the pay raise, um, when I closed up and I got to take the money to the bank. Um, and and if, if I needed somebody to go do the yogurt machine, I said, go to the yogurt machine, and they did it. This is about time. This is what I need. He said, here's some, some things that you do as the, as the manager, and uh, this is going to be your responsibilities. And, and so we went down the list there, and he said, one final thing, uh, and, and this is the rule that I have, and this cannot be changed. The manager, uh, every night when you close down, you can have anybody clean anything you want except for one place, the bathroom. That is the manager's job. If the bathroom is not clean, it is your fault, and no one else is allowed to clean. They, you can have everybody clean anything up, but you must clean the bathroom. I said, do what now? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been in, a, in the bathroom at, a, at an arcade place where teenagers hang out. This is not pretty. This is not pretty place. But I was required. I, I, I see now what he was doing. Uh, my head was starting to swell up. All right, when I got that manager title, and this keeps it down. Because now my perspective changed. Now I'm serving. Now I'm, I'm, I'm understanding I'm really not as important as I think I am. And now looking back so many years, it really wasn't a big deal. Uh, I'm not, I wasn't nearly as important as I thought I was. Jesus here was changing their perspective, how they looked at things. It is not dirty feet that I don't want to clean. It's not something that I don't want to pick up. It's not someone that I don't want to help. It is something that I need to do. It's an opportunity, and it's a place for me to serve. And so Jesus was changing their perspective here. 
Mark 6, verse 3, that Jesus was teaching on that occasion. And people were starting to wonder who this man was. And they started to ask questions. Is this not that man that we know? We know his brothers. We know his father. Is this not the carpenter's son? And his brothers, James, Joseph, Jude. And it says that they were offended at him. Even his own family, his brothers especially, didn't believe him. They didn't believe that he was the son of God because they had grown up with him and, and he had just been a normal person uh, for, for so many years. But then in, in the book of James, which was written, by the way, by one of the brothers of Jesus, James, not James the Apostle. It's James, his brother. And also the book of Jude, which was written by Jude, his brother. Both of those books begin very similarly. They're not written by apostles, else they would say James the Apostle, but it doesn't say that. It says James and Jude, it doesn't say the brother of Jesus. It says James and Jude, the servants. Of Jesus Christ. That word servant is the Greek word doulos, which means a bond servant, or we might better say a bond slave. How did they go from the brothers of Jesus who were offended, who didn't even believe what he, uh, who he was, to now saying they are the bond slaves of Jesus Christ? What changed? See, the resurrection changed. It changed their perspective. It changed what they were thinking. He's no longer Jesus, my brother that used to pick on me when we were little. He's now Jesus, the Messiah. This is God incarnate, God incarnate. When I invite Jesus into my home, it changes my perspective. It changes how I look at things, especially having to do with, with serving. When I invite him into my home, it changes everything about my family. It changes how I, what I focus on. It changes my perspective, the way that I love it. Number four, when I invite Jesus into my home, it changes my priorities. It changes what I deem to be most important. We've mentioned this uh, in another point as well. That the, the things that are most important according to the world are, shouldn't even be close to the top of the and I know that because who are, who are those of our society who make the most money? Athletes. People who play a game. And, and I know they earn a lot of money because they make a lot of money. But we put too much emphasis, we put too much importance on people who really don't do a lot as far as giving towards society. Who makes the least? Teachers, firemen. Police officers, number of those that actually actually do a lot of good and actually deserve a lot more than than what they have. You see, we don't we don't have the right kind of priorities in our society, our world in general. Inviting Jesus into my home changes what I seem to be think to be most important. Luke ten, beginning of verse thirty eight, Jesus is in the home of Mary and Martha, and, and you remember Mary's listening to Jesus and Martha is busy cleaning, and she says, Jesus, can you not tell her to come help me because I am burdened with this, I'm comforted about. With this, and Jesus said that Martha, you are worried. You're worried about the wrong thing. Mary has chosen that good thing which will not be taken away. The important thing was the important thing to Mary. It wasn't to, to Martha. She had the wrong idea. Inviting Jesus into my home changes what I think to be most important. In Luke 19, we read of a, of a man that actually Jesus invites himself to his home. Zacchaeus is in a tree there on that occasion. Remember, Jesus comes and tells him, Come down because I am coming to your house today. And because of, of that invitation, Zacchaeus now changes, he changes what's most important. He said, Lord, if, if, I, I, if I have wronged anybody, I'm going to give it back fourfold. And, and, and I'm going to give to the poor, and I'm going to, uh, to, to, to do better. Notice that he's changing there. Things that were most important, money and, and, and being successful, that's not important now that he's met Jesus. Being successful as far as the world is concerned is different than being successful as far as Jesus is concerned. Inviting him into my home changes my priorities. And finally, as our time is, is quickly running out, let's notice the fifth and final one. When I invite Jesus into my home, it changes forever my plans. 
It changes my future. What I'm looking forward to in the future now changes. Because according to the world, I can live and, and, and I die and that's it. That there's no more future after. So I have between now and that end, whenever that is, to do whatever I'm going to do to make a mark in the world. When I invite Jesus into my home, I realize there is something far better, far longer, and far greater on the other side of death. And when I invite him into my home, it changes that future forever. John 14, verses 1 through 3, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms or mansions. But we're not so I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and I will receive you unto my, my, into my home. For where I am, there you may be also. Notice the change of, of the future there. They're afraid. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid any longer. I'm going to prepare a place, and then I'm going to come back. There's the future that we have to look forward to. In Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, after giving us that long list of all those people there who we call them the Hall of Fame of Faith, the Hebrews writer said, Seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, we're surrounded by people that are watching us and wanting to know what we're going to do. We're reminded of people in the past of their great faithfulness. Seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Set aside your past. Set aside that sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And then verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. There's my, there's my focus Focus on Him. Set aside that past. Leave that, those sins in the past. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He set that race for us. He has lived the example for us. And He's lived a perfect life so that you and I do not have to. Inviting Jesus into my home changes everything about who I am. Changes my attitude. It changes my perspective. How I look at others. Changes the love that I have for my fellow man and for my family. If you need to invite Him into your home today... All you have to do is obey the gospel. Peter was asked on one occasion, men and brethren, what shall we do? What do I need to do? And they told them exactly what they needed to do. Unfortunately, the word of God does not change. It's, it's the same today as it was then. Today, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you're willing to repent of sins, that is to make a change in your mind about sin, about who you are, about who He is, and you're willing to confess that Jesus is the Son of God to this audience even here this morning, you can be baptized, immersed in water for the remission of sins. At that point, He's your Lord and Savior. You are now saved from your sins. You've invited Him into your life, if you will. As long as He stays there, as long as you keep Him in your focus, there is nothing, nothing that can take that salvation from you. But perhaps today there's someone here who has lost focus. Like Peter, you've noticed those problems again. You've drifted away in the sin. Remember what Peter did there in that particular passage. He said, Lord, save me. Today, if you need to come back home, we're here to help you in any way that we can. Whether we need to 